Welcome to the Inspiring Adventure Podcast, a podcast that connects you to the great outdoors through literature. Welcome to episode 14 of the Inspiring Adventure Podcast. Today we take a little break from our standard interview structure and instead we've got John D. Burns reading chapter 2 from Buffy Tales. Feindor. It is the emptiness of this place that impresses me. The broad glen sweeps away into the distance, and my eyes are drawn to the river, a long, shimmering line, one of the few signs of movement in this cold grey landscape. The clouds racing across the vast Kerngorm skies are the only other animated things. I am walking slowly but purposely, a solitary, minute figure in this colossal landscape. In most highland glens you are enclosed by steep hills, but the wide Kerngorm valleys open up to huge skies. I have been walking for a long time, so that the process has become mechanical, a trudge that must be endured. With each step, the east wind, rushing down the valley towards me, tries to force me back with cold, persistent pressure. My feet hurt, my legs ache, I dream of sitting down. The daylight is fading now, and the hills recede to silhouettes. Many hours before, I passed Locker Nguyen, the Green Locker, and Rivo and Bothy, and walked on over the shoulder of Bynock Moor. My path then took me on, through that great junction of lonely glens at the fords of Anne. Now I am only a few miles from my goal, the remote Fendur and Bothy, but these last miles are proving hard to win. Fendoran is different from many highland Bothies, in that it is visible from a distance of several miles, most Bothies play hide-and-seek with you. They stay hidden until you despair and decide you must be completely lost, that the Bothy is nowhere close. Then, and only then, do they pop out from behind a bush to startle you like a mischievous child. Vendoran, however, has a different strategy. On the plath down Glen Anne, it waves at you, calling you to it from far away, like some highland mirage. No matter how far you walk, it never gets any closer. This is my second attempt to reach the Bothy. Some places are elusive and take more than one try. My first attempt was foiled by deep snow, and I had to take refuge in a mountain emergency shelter. That was in February. Now it's four weeks later. Not only is the snow melted, but now the days are longer, and I can walk into the evening. I am glad of that extra daylight. Last month I would have been in darkness by now, and a remote, unfamiliar highland glen is a lonely place in the depths of a winter's night. Slowly, very slowly, the little isolated bothy draws closer. At last, weary and cold, I push open the wind-scoured bothy door, 
Vendoren is a modest place. There is only one room with a platform to sleep on, a table, a chair, and, most important of all, a multi-fuel stove to heat the place. In contrast to its Spartan appearance, it boasts one of the most elaborate candelabra I've ever seen in a bothy. It's a multi-branched thing that wouldn't be out of place in the most elegant of dining rooms, yet here it sits in a humble bothy. Perhaps it committed some terrible sin in a past life, and now must live the life of a hermit in this remote hut. Now I have reached the bothy, I want to do everything at once. I want to have a meal, have a whiskey, light the fire, fetch water, take my boots off, have a whiskey. Did I mention that? All these activities jostle for priority, like greedy children at a Christmas party. I want everything, and I want it now. I settle into a well-rehearsed routine. The first thing is to find water. Once I have enough water for the evening, I won't have to leave the bothy again, and I can take these damned heavy boots off. I find a stream close by, then I have a little whiskey. I think I've earned that. I light the fire, set up my little gas stove, and cook my evening meal. Cook is a, a slight exaggeration. I heat my tin of stewed steak and mix my dehydrated mashed potato with boiled water. The hot food rouses my sleeping appetite. Suddenly I am ravenous and devour the meal in seconds. I have gazed into the embers of a great many bothy fires in my time. No two are the same. Each fire has its own personality. Some roar into life at the touch of a match flame and have you backing away as the heat sears your eyebrows. Others must be coaxed into life and then smoulder with all the enthusiasm of a Ku Klux Klan member visiting Soweto. This fire was recently installed and is a small cast-iron affair with a splendid, gleaming, stainless steel chimney. Fendoran lay semi-derelict for many years after the gable end blew down in a fierce storm several years ago. I am very grateful I wasn't in the Bothy that night. The Bothy was rebuilt not long ago by the Mountain Bothies Association, although it remained fireless for over a year. In winter, I won't go near a Bothy that doesn't have a fire. No fire, no Bothy is my mantra. I had avoided heading into Fendoran until I heard that the association had installed some heating. I still had to carry my coal all the way in, but now it's cheerfully burning in the little black box. I can sit back, relax, and watch the Bothy TV. There is only one problem. Whilst the coal is burning heartily, the little stove seems to have an uncanny ability to hold on to its heat and remains resolutely cold to the touch. I wrap up in my duvet jacket and try to convince myself I am not cold, but my breath still mists in the candlelight and leaves me in no doubt of the chill. Despite humping several kilograms of coal across the frozen wastes of the Cairngorms, I am still cold. Despondent, I snuggle further into my jacket and take another sip of whisky. If I can't get warm from the outside, I may as well get warm from the inside. I turn the pages of the Bothy book in an effort to pass the time until the fire finally decides to go off a warm glow. Here I make a stunning literary discovery. The book has been added to by a literary genius, a writer who could be placed alongside Shakespeare or Dickens. There is one 
simple entry I will never forget. It reads, What a fucking relief this place is! I have written thousands of words about my visits to Bothy's. I have waxed lyrical about them, struggled with what little literary ability I have to bring to life for the reader at home in his or her armchair what it is like to journey through remote countryside to these simple dwellings. I know now that all my struggles have been in vain, that every word I have written has been wasted. There, in that book, with one simple sentence, the writer has summed up with dazzling lucidity the essence of the Bothy experience. Like a meal for the starving man or a drink of water for one dying of thirst, the Bothy rises out of the bog or emerges from the mist at precisely the moment we need it. It saves us from despair, rescues us from howling gales and torrential rain. It is a roof over our heads just at the moment we need it most and brings back our appreciation for the basic things in life. The pain may be self-inflicted, but its relief is always sweet. I am humbled by such a great writer. Just as I finish reading those words in the logbook, I realise that the temperature has risen, and the little stove is now belting out so much heat I am forced to strip down to my shirt sleeves. Though I burn only half the coal I carried across all those miles, I spend the evening basking in the glory of the little stove. Through this night in the great darkness at the heart of the Cairngorms, my single candle offers the only pinprick of light. How rare it is on this crowded island of ours to find such solitude. The following day, on the way home, I took a gamble, and instead of walking the long way around by the Fort of Anne, as I came in, I followed the shorter route over the hill. I don't know what conditions underfoot will be like when I leave the track, and if the ground is rough and boggy, I might find myself struggling to make any headway. I could lose my gamble. Happily, the hill proves good going on this occasion, and the shorter route out is much easier. It is, of course, a big help that I'm not carrying a bag of coal. High on the hill, I look back down to the little bothy nestling in the glen and wonder when I'll warm my feet at its fire again. Fyndoran's remoteness ensures that only two or three folk visit it each month during the winter, and even these few guests can be dissuaded by the harsh Cairngorm weather. It is in the top five most inaccessible bothies. Like many places that are hard won, the rewards of getting there are so much greater, and you are sure to find the little lonely bothy a welcome relief. Four weeks earlier, the story was very different. I stand for a few moments, gathering my breath for the next step. The thigh-deep snow holds my legs in a tight grip, like a toddler pleading for sweets. I heave myself out of the cold, wet potholes and take a few steps on the snow. The icy crust holds my weight for a second before it betrays me and I plunge for the hundredth time into the icy water beneath. I have travelled four feet since I was last in this position, and my rucksack gets heavier with every step. It's taken me ten minutes to move a hundred metres. Hope may spring eternal, but it can just as easily turn into despair.
Winters in these islands are fickle. One moment you are buffeted by blizzards, and the next warmed by a gentle sun. This year, winter has been even less predictable than usual. In fact, we barely had a winter at all. The Daily Mail headlines predicting the worst winter for 100 years with dire warnings of blizzards, headlines that brought hope to climbers and skiers, never came true. Our hills were only fleetingly graced with white, and most of the season remained depressingly black. I decided that, as there was so little snow and winter had already left the hills, I would head into the heart of the Cairngorms and spend the night in a bothy I long dreamt of, the distant Fendoran. Poring over the map, I realised that the little shelter would be a long walk from any direction. I had set off early that morning, my pack bulging with coal and comforts, full of optimism for the day ahead. That morning, as I trekked past the green lochan and made my way up through the twisted Scots pine, the remnants of the old Caledonian forest, it had felt as though spring had arrived early. Even though it was February, it was warm in the glen. The high hills were only dotted with odd patches of snow. As I left the narrow cleft of the glen and walked out beyond to where Rivo and Bothy sits, huddled at the foot of the hill, I stepped out into the vast rolling landscape that leads into the heart of these mountains. I had been coming to the Cairngorms for over forty years, but their scale always surprises me. My eyes took in miles of open country in one sweep, great expanses of heather topped here and there by rocky outcrops, rounded by millennia of wind and rain. It is a long climb over the shoulder of the mountain, Bynockmoor. I was grateful when I reached its rounded crest and began the descent into the Fords of Anne Basin, the true heart of the Kerngorm Mountains. I was relaxed, if a little leg-weary, and already looking forward to warming myself beside the small bothy stove at the end of the day. It was here, as I approached the Fords of Anne, where the great glens of the Cairngorms converge, that winter ambushed me. My pack feels much heavier now, and great banks of snow sweep down from the surrounding hills. Despite the warmth of the day, the river is covered in sh thick sheets of ice. This is where winter has been hiding, waiting for me to bumble over the horizon. At first, I fight my way down through the deep snow into the glen, telling myself that the snow will be thinner lower down, and the going easier. Now I have reached the glen, I can see that the snow is even deeper, and the going harder. The little stove in Fendoran seems a long way off as I'm overtaken by the growing realisation that I no longer have the strength to walk out the way I came in. As I approach the Fords of Anne, where the great glens converge, an ominous cloud begins to loom over the mountains around me. I realise I'm not going to make it to the Bothy. Increasingly, I feel alone and vulnerable in this vast place. To my right is Loch Anne, its grey waters surrounded by towering cliffs, as it sits beneath Cairngorm, with its wind-scoured summit. Ahead of me, the glen leads south to Derry Lodge, and ultimately Braemar. To my left, another glen heads for Tomintool, many miles away. Fendoran sits in this glen, but it is over four miles away, and I doubt I am making one mile per hour in this frozen soup. Already the light is fading, storm clouds are gathering, and my situation is growing serious. Without shelter, I face the prospect of a long, cold night, at best. My brain searches for a solution. 
Then I remember the Fords of Anne Refuge, a little emergency shelter that must be close by. The last time I visited the place, it was during a search with a rescue team. It wasn't much more than a metal box resembling a dog kennel. I recall opening the door and finding the floor running with water. A night in that cold place does not have much appeal, but I realise I am rapidly running out of both energy and options. From somewhere in my mind an image appears. Someone called Neil drinking beer in a newly renovated bothy. It's possible that the place I'm remembering is the refuge, so maybe it's been renovated. It's hard to be sure because there are lots of photos of someone called Neil drinking beer in bothies. The refuge is very close by now. It's been close for a long time. So tortuously slow is my progress. At last I stand beside the refuge and it has been renovated. The metal box is gone and it's been replaced by what looks like a garden shed, heavily insulated with rocks piled around it. Inside the floor is dry. There is no furniture, and I can barely stand, but at least I am out of the weather. Thud. I crack my head on a low beam. This place has been cleverly designed. It must have taken them ages to get the beams at exactly the right height to collide with the top of my skull. Thud. As I stagger from one concussive impact to the next, I realise that the beams are here to teach me a lesson. Thud. You are an old man and should be at home watching Countdown. Thud, you should have known there would be snow here. Thud, your days of running about the hills are over. My candle flame burns undisturbed while wind and rain hammer at the shelter. A testimony to how weatherproof this place is. In my duvet jacket I am remarkably comfortable. With little else to do, I while away the hours reading the graffiti on the wooden walls. Why is it people feel the need to mark their passage by scribbling on things? The Mountain Bothies Association even provides a book and a pen so you can let us know you were here. But that's not good enough. People feel they have to mark the place with names and dates. A party from Harrogate once had lunch here. Some bloke called Ken from Manchester is a regular visitor. Zoe Partington leaves nothing more than her name. I wonder who she is. What brought her to this remote spot? I pass the night in the little shelter, dwarfed by Cairngorm giants and alone in the darkness. As I sit dozing, sipping my whiskey, I raise a glass to the people who renovated this tiny haven. For without it and their efforts, I would have struggled through a harsh night, and perhaps I wouldn't have seen the dawn. The Fords of Anne Refuge was not built to be just another bothy. This place was put here for Zoe to eat her sandwiches. This place was built to save lives of the unlucky and the foolish, of which I am both. This place was built for nights like this. During the hours of darkness, I wrote a poem for Zoe Partington, which for some reason has to be read with a Welsh accent. Zoe Partington, love of my life, lips like ripe cherries, breasts of delight, eyes like stars. Marry me, Zoe Partington, marry me. She never would say yes, but she never did say no. Years later, I met her in Asda, children in tow. Married the butcher in Cardiff Street, see? I asked her, Zoe, why him and not me? 
she thought for a while, and then she said, Well, he had more meat. Now you can't argue with that. I do hope you've achieved a bit of escapism by listening to John's reading from chapter two of his book, Bothy Tales. You can order this and all our other titles direct from the website, that's v-publishing.co.uk and take advantage of our site-wide 30% off sale. We are still mailing out orders through Royal Mail, but please bear with us as we're aware that some services are experiencing a bit of a delay. It's also worth noting that our video output on YouTube will be less regular, but I'm hoping to make up for that with more frequent podcast episodes, so keep tuning in. And don't forget to share this podcast with friends and family who might be interested, and we'll be back again next Thursday. We're social, so search for Vertebrate Publishing on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube or sign up for our newsletter at v-publishing.co.uk.